Chapter 25 through 40 is really about the issue of the God who dwells. And in verse 8 of chapter 25 is where that is brought in. And the Lord says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. Now that word tabernacle, of course, is the word is the word dwelling. I won't attempt the Hebrew word. It's the word dwelling place. Important to notice that as we go through. So, so he wanted a habitation, a dwelling place among the people. Chapter 32, just for a moment at the end of chapter 32, you'll know, of course, what has happened. The disaster of of the, the sin of the worship of the golden calf. It is in many respects the, the full moment of Exodus. Uh, Exodus is a, is a recreation story in many regards. It's the birth of the nation. Uh, and just like in Genesis 3, the whole thing comes crashing down. The creation story, you come to Exodus, or Exodus chapter 32 and you have the work of God delivering his people and, and giving them the law and then giving Moses the tabernacle up on the mountain, but now you have the disaster of the golden calf. And in many respects, you come to the end of chapter 32 and the beginning of chapter 33, and we don't know what's going to happen. You, you only know what's going to happen because you've read the rest of it. There is a real question about what's going to happen. In fact, we'll get there, but look at chapter 33, verse 5. The Lord says that I may know what to do unto thee. And it's expressed in terms that the Lord is deliberating. The issue in chapter 32, uh, look at verse 30. Moses, Moses says that he is, is he's going up unto the Lord, end of the verse. And he says, perhaps, I shall make atonement for your sin. And he went up and he tried. The man did everything he humanly possibly could do, including offering himself as the object of the judgment instead of the people. But that won't work for law. And the people are guilty and in verse 33, the Lord says, Whosoever sinned against me, him will I blot out of the book. And the end of verse 34, I will visit their sin upon them. And then we have a plague in verse 35. And it's not clear at all to us, and probably not to Moses, whether the sin had been dealt with or whether it was yet to be dealt with and whether the plague was part of it and how much was to come. There are, there are question marks hanging all over this because the people's sin was horrific. They had rejected not just rejected God, but rejected the deliverance of God in a way that was a blasphemous shame upon his name. It's a scandal. And so we read chapter 33 and verse 1. The Lord says to Moses, now I'm going to put over this section verse, I'll just give you the titles as we go through because we might uh, not get to them all. Verse 1 to 6 I'm going to call God's deliberations in government. He is deliberating what to do with them in his governmental dealings with them in judgment. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up hence, 
Thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt. Notice, thou hast brought. He's referred to previously that he had brought, that thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt. Go up unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it, and I will send an angel before thee. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For, and notice this is the key point, I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. When the people heard these evil tidings, or, or heard this disaster, they mourned. And no man did put on his ornaments, his finery. For the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment, and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb, which of course was Sinai. God's deliberations in judgment, his deliberations in government. What will I do unto thee? Now verse 7 through, through 11, we have God's descent in grace. God's descent in grace. And Moses took the tabernacle, or uh, really important you get, that's the tent. He took the tent. It's not the tabernacle, uh, it's not the dwelling place, it is the tent. Come back to that. And pitched it without the camp, far off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle, or better, the tent of the congregation, the tent of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tent of the congregation which was without the camp and it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tent that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tent it came to pass as Moses entered into the tent the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses if you're not feeling a sense of overwhelming relief then read the next verse all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man at his tent door. They were not sure that the Lord would talk with Moses, but he had. And the Lord spake unto Moses, face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Now, now that's what happened. I, I believe verse 12 through 23 gives you an understanding of what was spoken to Moses face to face in the tent. We're now, we're now going inside the tent. Uh, the people never saw this. They never heard when Moses up on Mount Horeb pleaded with the Lord that the people would be preserved. They never heard when Moses spoke to the Lord and offered that he be taken in judgment rather than them. And they never heard what he said face to face with the Lord in the tent. But we get, we get to read it. <laughs> There's two requests he makes. 
The first is in verse 12 through 17. Uh, and on the surface, you can call it a request for clarity because that's what it, what it is on the surface. It's really more than that, but it's a request for clarity. Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. That's the request. Show me now thy way, or show me thy ways, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he, the, the Lord said, my presence shall go. Like just, you should get excited by that statement, <laughs> right? Mo there's no doubt Moses did. My presence shall go. And I will give, I will give thee rest. Notice that is a singular Hebrew reference. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not, carry us not up hence. Notice, notice the plural. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know, know thee by name. And the chapter could have finished there because the job's done. <laughs> uh, Moses has secured for the people what was in great danger of not being their portion at all. But he's not done. And he makes one of the greatest requests that any man's ever made in verse 18. He said, I beseech thee, show thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will. I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and Thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And I am sorely tempted to go to chapter 34, but I have, I have enough to deal with. Uh, and you'll get that next week in the goodness of the Lord. A wonderful section in, in a dark chapter in Israel's history. We need to learn uh, tonight many lessons from, from these texts. And we'll learn practical lessons and issues that will affect us directly. Things that we have to think about as to how we operate and act before God. Because the same God who was here in Sinai is our God. Uh, praise the Lord we are on the ground of grace and not law. But but he's the same God. Uh, however, of course, uh, whatever you see, Moses, yes, you have a pattern to follow and you've got an example to, 
to follow, but you need to look for Christ. Uh, he is the closest thing to a prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament. He is a, a prophet. He is the prophet that, that the Lord is going to come after. Uh, he is described, I think, as a king in Jeshurun. He surely is, surely is the, uh, the king figure, although not of the house of David. And, well, he is, he is everywhere in chapter 32 and 33 in intercession in priestly ministry. So look for Christ, because that's, that's who he foreshadows. He is the great type of Christ in Exodus, of course, besides many others. Right, let's go through these sections one at a time, and, um, and let's see if we can understand them and the flow through. The first six verses, uh, this real question of what is the Lord going to do with them? Their sin remains upon them, and... And there's, there's no obvious answer. Sacrificial system has not been given. That's Leviticus. Uh, the details haven't landed. Moses goes up looking to find a way to atone, to cover sin. Uh, and is, is singularly unsuccessful. Uh, aren't you glad you've got a greater high priest? Uh, who went up into the presence of the Lord, but with, with bloodshed. But now the, the question uh, comes about what's going to happen, and we find two things that we have to learn about God in this section. First is this, that God is committed to his promises. Uh, and uh, say amen in your heart, brethren, because it's a wonderful thing that God is committed to his promises. But the one uh, issue that flows out of that section, however, that although God is committed to his promises, he is consuming in his purity. Um, and so the problem remains. But first of all, God is committed to his promises. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up hence, thou and, thy, and the people which thou hast brought up. Go into the land which I swear unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all the sin and the horror of chapter 32, the Lord will not forget that he's made a promise. I swear. God, you know, God makes covenants. Um, he makes covenants every 500 years from Noah through Abraham, through David, through Sinai covenant, but also a Phineas covenant that's enduring. And a new covenant. Every one of them, a solemn legal commitment from the throne. And God will not forget. We ought to be thrilled by the assurance of that. When God says something, he means it. Despite all the disaster, the promise has been made. Notice the land promise. It's the land, verse 1. Uh, the land, verse 2, that enemies will be driven out of, the Canaanite, the Amorite, etc. It's the land, verse 3, flowing with milk and honey. That's the land promise of Genesis 12 that's reiterated in the flow out of the Abrahamic covenant as it unfolds through Genesis. The land is theirs. And the seed, 
promise again in the Abrahamic covenant. Notice verse, verse 1, unto thy seed will I give it, and, and the promise would be maintained. The seed promise is reiterated. He also restates a promise that he made several times, that this angel would go up. I will send an angel before thee. Before thee. He is called, uh, called, he's called my angel. Uh, you find him in chapter 23, verse 20, chapter 23, verse 23, uh, and then also at the end of chapter 32 in verse 34. Mine angel, my messenger, it's almost certainly messenger Jehovah. You know him as Christ, pre-incarnate. He's going before. Isn't it wonderful? He went before them, and First uh, Corinthians 10 tells us he was the rock that followed them. So he's before them and he's behind them. But the big question that comes into all of this is, is God going to be in the midst of them? He's, he's, going, he's going ahead of them and he's going to deal with the enemies and take them out. And he's going to be behind them and preserve them. He's going to provide for them. A rock in the wilderness. But the big question is, can he be in the midst of them? That's the point. Notice it's twice over in the section. Verse 3, I will not go up in the midst of thee. Verse 5, I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. And, and the issue is that, that God is holy and the people have proven themselves to be unable to keep the covenant. The covenant is smashed, literally smashed. Uh, the covenant made in chapter 20 is smashed and gone and God could have left it there. But in chapter 24, he gives them it again. And there's a new start, but, but, but we're not there yet. The, the covenant has been smashed, and the question is, how can God dwell among a sinful people? Now, that's massive, because the whole point of this section is that God was going to dwell. This is huge. And the people understood this was huge. You know, how can God dwell among sinners? When, when they heard that, when they heard this disaster, they mourned. And... And however fickle and failing they were, they realized that this was massive. How can God dwell among sinners? You know what? Moses started to get at the answer in chapter 32. Atonement was needed <laughs> for sin. Well, how is God going to dwell among sinners? Right, let's stop for a second. You, you get used to this, and so do I. I just came from a meeting of God's people, and I'll come to another one. Aren't meetings great? Um, and meeting with God is wonderful. Christian, it would not be possible apart from Christ. We have such little appreciation of our sin. And such small grasp of the holiness of God. That, that we take these things as being normal. And let Exodus 32 and 33 burn into your soul. It is not normal for God to dwell among people. On the other side of the fall, God can't walk with man like that. Because it is dangerous. God says, if I am with you, I'll consume you. The fire of the holiness of God among his people. 
He could not dwell there and them survive. <laughs> you know, they mourn for their sin. And, um, you know, mourning for sin is an appropriate thing. They, they took off their finery. Uh, it's like putting on sackcloth, okay? They, they were expressing externally and how they dressed. Their ornaments were all taken off. It was all stripped down because this was not a time of celebration. This was a time of mourning. The Lord couldn't dwell among them, and they felt the effect of their sin. And by the way, when we sin, mourning is a good thing. You will be encouraged by many aspects of wider Christian teaching to jump straight to the enjoyment of forgiveness and jump straight to the enjoyment of the liberation uh, of guilt removed. Just wait a moment or two in the place of mourning. Don't stay there for too long because the Lord doesn't want you there for long, but he wants you to understand it. That's James chapter 4, isn't it? Weeping and mourning is a good thing. And if it was not for Christ, there was no way out of it. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for Christ? Your, your sin is not the cause of mourning forever. Own your sin, recognize it, confess it. And while you treat sin seriously, treat, treat forgiveness seriously too and live in the good of it. When you join with God's people corporately, every time you walk through that door to sit down with God's people in corporate assembly, remember this, this is only possible because of Christ. Even the best of men couldn't find a way. If Moses, if Moses could have done it, he would have done it. There was nothing too far for him to go. But he wasn't able. We have a greater mediator who has shed who has shed blood. Right, verse 7 uh, through 11. We have uh, God's, not government now, but his grace, his ascent in grace. And the big question, ver end of verse 5 and verse 6, is what will happen? Well, who's going to move? <laughs> the Lord is deliberating about how he's going to deal with his people. Who's going to move? It's always Moses. And Moses heard what God said. He can't be in the midst. So Moses says, I'll bring him as close as I can. Moses had met him up on the mountain. But he says, I'll bring him as close to the people as I can. And he took a tent afar off, outside the camp. A tent of meeting. Now, this is not the tabernacle, which was, of course, the tabernacle is the ten linen curtains. You've been in the tabernacle. You can probably preach it to me. But it's the, the ten linen curtains are, are the tabernacle proper. They are the dwelling place of God. Upon them, of course, were the goat's hair curtains, which is the tent. Uh, and then there are the coverings, uh, ram skins and the, and, and the badger skins. But you, you have, what you have here, I think, is the goat's hair. It's the, it's the curtains of goat's hair, and he takes them out. This is not the dwelling place of God. Uh, he, he, you know, that'll happen. Right now, we don't know if that's going to happen. Like that's all been torched by chapter 32. And the potential for that to never happen is real. But Moses takes the tent, the tent of meeting, 
because God's dwelling place became a tent of meeting. That's the Buster Wonder of the Tabernacle. Where he resided is where man was able to meet with him. But the goat's hair curtains are taken, taken outside the camp, and they're set up a tent of meeting. Goat's hair, I mean, goats, of course, linked with, linked with sin in a number of ways. I don't have time to go into that, but go and look at that in your own, in your own time. And the black curtains of goat's hair, uh, it's, not a, it's not a white tent at the distance if you've got that in your mind. It's a black tent. And, and, and isn't it wonderful that, that, that Moses has brought something down? Now, now, there's two things here. The place of meeting, that's the first thing, verse 7, that becomes a place of mediation in verse 8 through 11. So, so it's a place of meeting first. And, uh, and notice, look at verse 7. He, he, he called it the tent of meeting. See, see what Moses is doing. He's longing for there to be a place where God's people can meet with him. And then look what happens. It came to pass that everyone that sought the Lord went out into the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now, here's the thing. How many people went out? Their sin had separated them from God, but yet there was an invitation to come out. <laughs> you ever been like that? Maybe there's a believer in the room right now, and sin in your life has, has caused a distance between you and God. Well, there's a greater mediator than Moses has made it possible for you to seek the Lord again. I don't know how many went out. Oh, I know Moses and Joshua went out because we're told. How many, some of the Levites, chapter 32, they stood up when Moses was, was challenging them all. They might, he might have come across as harsh if you were just looking on the outside. He left them totally clear about their sin and failure. And he, he, I mean, he didn't miss Aaron. He never told them that he prayed for their preservation up on the mountain. Moses loved them. But he's made it possible for them to meet with the Lord. The door's open. <laughs> How many went out? We don't know. But what we do know is this. There's one man. And they were waiting for him. It came to pass when Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose up. Now here's the thing. They'd come to know that if they'd come to know if there was any blessing going to come from God for them, there was one man through whom it was going to be channeled, and every eye was on Moses. You don't need much application of that, Christian, do you? There is no flow of blessing to us but through Christ. And they knew it. And the big question is, how would God respond? Moses goes out, and you see that, that he, he goes out and they watch. He goes out on behalf of the nation. He goes out representing them as he'd gone up to God. Remember, they had said the Lord not to speak with them, but, but to speak to Moses. They knew he, he was representative of them. And in all their sin and distance, 
they saw Moses go out, and the question hanging over it all is, would the Lord accept them? They looked after Moses until he went into the tent. And like verse 9 is a hallelujah moment. He went into the tent, and the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Now, this is why, that's why the people in verse 10, when they saw the cloud, they rose up and worshipped every man at his tent door. And the ray of hope rose. And maybe out of all of this disaster, there might just be a way back. There might just be a way back because, because their representative, God had visibly come down to meet with. <laughs> it's exciting, isn't it? If you didn't know what's going to happen, it's really exciting. God descends in grace. The cloudy pillar that had been there in chapter 13 for guidance, it had guided them out. In chapter 14, on the banks of the Red Sea, or the Reed Sea as it is, it was the pillar that protected them. Now it's the pillar that comes down to talk with Moses. Notice the language, the Lord talked with Moses. Same in verse 11, the Lord spake with Moses, and the people are delighted. Now, do you notice this is the, the, the intimacy of it all? The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. You know, there's all sorts of um, failure in Moses. You know, you've seen that in Exodus so, so far. He's, he ain't perfect. Um, but the Lord doesn't just love perfect people. He, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad about that? Um, and, and the man's heart is clear. And the Lord calls him and describes him in terms of communicating with a friend. Now, what does that mean? Consistent throughout the Bible. Uh, when, when you talk to someone as a friend, a fr the friend, a friend is the person to whom you disclose your heart. The one to whom you reveal your desires, your intentions, your hopes. There's a vulnerability about it all. You see that with back with Abraham in, in Genesis. Abraham, my friend, the friend of God. What does what does the Lord say to him? Shall I withhold from Abraham what I'm going to do? Nobody in the world. Nobody in the world would get to know what Abraham got to know. Because he's the friend of God. That's that's why when the, Lord, uh, when the Lord says to his disciples in the upper room, John 15, you're no longer just servants. You're my friends. It's not, it's, it's not, a, it's not a statement of chumminess or palliness. It's not, a, it's not a, a degrading of a relationship. It's, it's the idea of someone to whom his heart's disclosed. Christian, he wants you to understand and know his heart. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and, and this is Moses. He wants Moses to know. Um, a type of Christ, no doubt. A man on earth with full access and intimate 
understanding of the heart of the Father. Uh, you do need uh, notice that Joshua stayed in the tent. We better move on. Joshua stayed in the tent. Well, you're all staying for tea, aren't you? So I can preach on because none of you are heading home. Um, Joshua stayed in the tent, the son of man, the young, young man. It's really interesting. You often get this where Mo- you, need, you need Moses and Joshua. You know, every type is a shadow and, and partial, but you need Moses and Joshua very often. You know, Moses took them out and Joshua took them in, right? So you need, you need them both to understand uh, Christ and his full work. Uh, same in chapter 17, you know, there's, uh, there's Joshua's down in the valley fighting Amalek. He's leading the battle and Moses is up on, on the mountain interceding. Okay, uh, that's the work of Christ in two different aspects. You need, you, need both, you need both Joshua and Moses. Well, it's the same here. The people of God are in need. The people of God are, are in need. And what you find is Moses comes out. Look, Moses turns again, verse 11, into the camp. Moses comes down to speak to the people. You'll see that in chapter 34. Moses comes down to help the people, and Joshua stays in the tent of meeting with God. What was Joshua doing all those days, all those hours? He was carrying on a work of intercession. He was seeking the Lord. Uh, He's with us. He's with us, Christian. And he's above interceding for us. Uh, he is He is everything in the work, work of God. Right, verse 12 to 17. Uh, and let's think about Moses' request. Two, two requests. And, and you can understand, when you understand what it means to speak to a friend, as we've referenced, you can then understand why the, the first and, and the, the, the basic request that he makes in verse 13, show me thy ways. Is exactly that. He says, Lord, I want to understand. I want to know what you're doing. Um, now, he's doing more than this, right? Because in his language and as he frames things, he is making suggestions to the Lord. <laughs> um, he is being very careful because he knows he can demand nothing. You'll notice this three times over in verse 12 and 13. He says, grace, I have found grace in your sight. I found grace in your sight. I found grace in your sight. He says, it's all grace. He's there because of grace. He doesn't deserve to be there. You think Moses, great man, great man, top man, top morals, he's head and shoulders above them all. He deserved to be in there. The best, the best do not deserve to be in there. And Moses knew it. It's all grace, so he's very careful. Uh, what I want you to notice is that in all his careful language and in all his, his basic request to show, show me thy way, we'll come back to that, he has a purpose, right? You need to find two things, the purpose of Moses and the picture of Moses. The purpose of Moses and the picture. The purpose, like he's a real purpose. He is not going to leave the tent until the Lord commits to go up with them in their midst. Like Moses is not Levi. <laughs> now you'll see it, it flows through because it, sta- it starts off with, um, well, you know, he knows certain things and he, he tells the Lord this. He says, he says, you've said to me, verse 12, bring up this people. He knows he's calling. He's known it since the burning bush. And the bush he was told to take him to the mountain and now he's told to take him to the land. He knows he's calling. He knows he's accepted 
I mean, look at the statement, end of verse 12. I know thee by name. You have said to me, I know thee by name and found grace in thy sight. It's repeated again in verse 17. It closes the section off. Thou hast found grace in my sight and I know thee by name. That meant a lot to, to Moses. The Lord told him, you found, found grace in my sight and I know you by name. Hey, Christian, you want to apply that to yourself for a second? Uh, most of the world doesn't know your name. And they never will. But the Lord does. And you found grace in his sight. What a happy place to be. <laughs> well, Moses was happy there. He said, lock me in. Lord, I've got that. I know my calling and I know my position. But, notice he says in verse 12, you've, here's what he doesn't know. You've not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Oh, crazy language. <laughs> the Lord had told him the angel was going. Well, the angel was going in front. Who's going with me? You see, well, it could be that it could be that the the people, you know, he said bring the people up, but how many of the people were going to come up? Because at the end of chapter 32, there's a whole big question mark over whether God had finished in judgment or not. How many was he going to wipe out? Did he just have the tribe of Levi left? You know, who was, are they all going up? It could be that. But you know in the background the question is, Lord, are you going up? You've not told me who you're sending with me. <laughs> uh, and the Lord knows Moses' heart. I, and, and you have it then in verse 13 more explicitly, specifically he says, show me thy ways. I want to know your ways. Lord, I want to know what you're doing. I want to know what you're doing. You ever, you ever prayed like that? You ever asked that question? Those of you who've gone through dark waters, may, uh, deep waters and dark nights may well have, may well have asked that question because... It tends to be when we ask it. Lord, show me thy way. But we often ask the question so that we might rationalize it or find a way through or, you know, get relief because the light's coming and the water's getting shallower and we might land on a beach with ice cream. You're never sure, you know. Um, we're kind of, show me thy way so we know. Notice, look what, look what Moses asked for. Verse 13, very explicit. Here's a, here's a man, ought to be more like him. Show me thy ways that I may know thee. To know the ways of the Lord is to know the Lord. To, knows, to know what he's doing and why he's doing it to know him. That's what it means when you understand a friend. See, when you've divulged your heart to someone, when you've told them your hopes, your expectations, why you're doing what you're doing, when they've, when they've heard it all, you know them. Moses spoken to the Lord as a friend. I want to know your ways that I might know you. If you take nothing away from this meeting, take that away as a, as a prayer. And bring that to the Lord.
to seek to understand what he's doing, that you might know who he is. Now you say, well, how do I do that? Here's a little insight. Here's a crashing insight for you. That's what the Bible's all about. Okay? That's what it's all about. It's about showing us his ways. Understanding his ways that we might understand him, that we might know him. That's the riches of the Bible, and we're seeing something of it tonight, is to to wrestle with the ways of God, is to understand who he is. There's nothing greater in all the world. But, But the Lord then says in verse 14, my presence shall go with thee, or that's in italics. It's a very, it's a very non-specific statement. My presence shall go. Now, Moses' ears are now pricking up at this point. Okay, uh, my presence will go. But then, and I will give thee rest. Now, rest is. We're going to look at the word rest. Okay, it is the, the word for the promised land. It is the word for the ultimate. It's the word for landing in the in the shores of Canaan, it is the, it's the ultimate purpose, you know, uh, Joshua, Hebrews chapter 4, take them into rest, okay, it's the idea, but notice, this is singular, personal, Moses is getting rest, you get this, you say quite right, he deserves it, um, that's by the way, one of the reasons why the King James Version uh, has the uh, the and thou were, was archaic at the time this translation was written, but it was kept because it was singular, and you could call it out as such, just so you know. Um, but you'd get it in Logos or Two Letter Bible too. It, it's singular. It's Moses is going to go into rest. That's not good enough for me. Now, you might say, well, that's great. You and I would be like, fabulous, I'm getting rest. Isn't that wonderful? Of all that's happened on the mountain and all that's happened at the base of the mountain, and all the disaster that could happen, you know, I'm getting in. That's Hezekiah. Isn't it wonderful that the judgment's not coming in my days? It's not good enough for Moses. <laughs> look, at verse, look at verse 15. If thy presence go not, carry us not up hence. Notice the plural. It's not good enough that it's just me. Carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? See the point? Lord, are you with us? And, and he's back to the question that he asked in verse 12. You've not let me know who you're sending with me. He's asking the same question. He says, Lord, are you going with us? With us. And, and verse 17, the Lord says to Moses, I will do this thing that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Like that's, isn't that wonderful? And, and Moses secured what was in the balance and in doubt right until verse 17. And the Lord's going with them. Amen. Right, you think this is good. But this is a picture, of course, that's the purpose of Moses, but the picture of Moses is is far higher. And the priestly work of Christ, you know, the the mediatorial offices of prophet, priest, and king, 
uh, that stand in mediation between God and men, shadowed in Moses all the way through. He is, you know, even in Hebrews 2, he is, the, he is the apostle, the sent one. And Aaron is the high priest. Like there's a whole lot of, of our confession. There's a whole lot of high priestly work going on uh, with Moses. And as Moses has been on the mountain, you know, he's been there twice already. And the first time in chapter 32, what was the big issue? The big issue was their preservation. The Lord was going to wipe them out. He's going to wipe them out and make a new, make the nation out of, it would be the nation of Israel still, but make them out of, out of Moses, not Abram. And, and the priestly intercession of Moses secured their preservation. What was the issue in the end of chapter 32? It was their penalty. They were preserved, but they were still sinners. And Moses did everything he could. Everything he could. Bless the man. Everything he possibly could for the people of God. I mean, what a shepherd. You know, every time you look at the life of Moses, the, the, the shepherds among God's people in the local church should be challenged from top to bottom, from head right to toe, because like, there's hardly anyone like him. He'd have taken their penalty if he could have done. And our priest did. But what, what did he secure in chapter 33? It's not the issue of their preservation or their penalty, but it's the presence. He secures the presence of God for his people. Your, your high priest intercedes. Your name is spoken in heaven every day. He secures for his people the presence of God right through until the end. You know, he is bringing many sons to glory. And it's the priest that sees you through. It's the priest that gets you through the wilderness. Uh, and the picture of Moses is far greater than the the picture of, or the, the purpose of Moses. Um, right, time is, time is, I'm gone, and I've got to deal with glory. Right, hang on, you'll give me, if you have to go, go, and I, I won't be offended, but, well, not much. Um, give me five minutes. Moses' request for glory. Um, I won't say too much about it, actually, because chapter 34 is when it happens, right? So you just have a, a foreshadowing of it here in the start of it because you know that would have been enough I would have come out of the tent uh, can you skip in sandals I don't know but I, I would have been delighted um, I think this man was exhausted you know the work a spiritual work of looking after God's people is a, is a, a thing of it's a burden Moses carried them. You know that he breaks eventually. He was just a man. And, uh, and having been running around for the last couple of, well, how long? <laughs> he's been up. He's been down the mountain. He's been back up the mountain. He's been back down again. He's about to go back up again. Um, the mental burden of it all, the worry. What's going to happen to them? brought all this people out to this mountain over two million people and and the awfulness of the rebellion and the f and you know his you know Aaron 
the closest person to him on earth completely failed? And, and the question has to be, how can, how can he look out on a wilderness? And how can he take these people through? The Lord says, go up. <laughs> and the Lord's given him a great task. Well, he asks a great question. He says, Lord, show me thy glory. You know, it seems to be personal. Um, a lot of people take it. He was wanting the glory for the nation to believe that the Lord was with them, an outward sign, but it's all about him. I think this is entirely personal. He, he's, he secured everything for the people of God that he could possibly secure. He's done everything. But for himself, he needs something. And he knows what he needs. He needs a greater grasp of the wonder and the, and the beauty and the excellence of God. So how's your life of service going? Uh, you might say, well, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how hard it is, but you're probably not responsible for two million people in a, in a desert. You know, of whatever, whatever you're carrying, at least be thankful it's not that. Because, uh, you know, you can always look on someone else's burdens and they've got more. Um, this is a burning bush moment again. He has had the Lord reveal himself at the burning bush. He knows something of that experience and he knows that he needs that again. And probably something more. The Lord says, the Lord says, well, look at the language. He says, I will, I will. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> show me thy glory, I will. I will show, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. This is chapter 34. I am going to steal someone's territory, whoever it is, if I go too much further. But, but the glory, which is, of course, the, the outshining of excellence, it's the expression of majesty. It is the, the, the manifestation of beauty. It is in his goodness and his name, which is his character. Okay? The outshining excellence of God, the glory of God is seen in his goodness and his name, his character expressed. And you see it in Christ, of course, fully expressed goodness of the Lord. Christian, in the service of God, you know, I am just like you. Uh, maybe that's a slight on you. Uh, I am, well, you're like me if you get sometimes disillusioned and you lose sight of things. You get involved in work and you deep yourself in and you carry on and you push through, but you end up losing sight of him. You've got to sometimes resurface. He's the reason. He's the motivation. And he's the strength. And Moses knew that. Get your eye on Christ. Fill your eyes with the Lord. Understand his ways. That I might know thee. As verse 13 says. But of course we have to finish knowing this. That you know. Making big requests of God like that. Quite a thing. By the way, you know, don't make huge requests 
quite like that if they're not willing to sacrifice anything like me. <laughs> okay. You can't just, you know, live a kind of half-hearted Christian life and then crawl into the presence of the Lord and ask to see his glory and expect much. Okay? Just to be clear. But when you're sacrificing for God's people and you're, you're interceding for them and, and you're serving them and you'll, you'll, you'll work and your heart has been caught up with something of God, you can ask him to see his glory and reveal something of himself to you in the word. But you know, of course, that prayer was, was answered. Uh, Moses had no clue how that was going to be answered, but uh, we're over a century and a half later, uh, a millennium and a half later, of course, on the mountain of transfiguration, he saw his glory. He got the first glimpse of the kingdom glory of Christ with Elijah. Isn't that wonderful? You can ask God big things. If you're serving him and you love him, he loves to reveal himself to his people. We have a lot to learn. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let's pray. Our blessed God and our Father, we are we're chastened just uh, to have spent time looking at a people that reflect us so often, stiff-necked. And we've looked at a Moses and realized that as servants of the Lord, we fall very far short. Moses was faithful in, in, in all his house. And in thy house he, he served well, but we give thanks that Christ is as son over, over his own house. And we give thanks for a higher and a greater than Moses. Uh, help us, our God, for our hearts to be drawn out to Christ. Help us to serve thee better. Help us to take sin seriously. Help us to treasure and value the presence of God. And help us to know thy ways that we might know thyself. We give thanks for all of this. We give thanks for time of refreshment now and for the goodness of the Lord providing it. Uh, bless the saints here. Preserve the local church here. Hedge them about and bless them uh, in thy goodness to us. In the Saviour's precious name.